0: Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Would you say that with me? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege we have of knowing you at this Easter season. Thank you for the privilege we have of knowing about the resurrection and also the privilege we may have today of learning to know you in a more intimate and personal way and really experiencing what it means to know the resurrection power of Christ within our lives. Thank you for being here and for meeting with us in Christ our Savior's name, amen. I remember sitting where you sit. It was Easter break or or some break like that and I'd been dating this wonderful young woman who is now my wife for over a year. And uh, finally, she had invited me home to meet her parents. Now that's kind of a big event when you get invited home to meet your girlfriend's parents. I was a little bit uh, nervous about that because I was from the city, and she was from the country way out in western Kansas, 11 and a half miles down a dirt road on a ranch. And uh, when I arrived there, her father said, uh, really glad to meet you, Keith. I'd like to have you help me move some cattle. And... Uh, I wasn't quite sure what that was. I knew cattle were a little bit different from tractors but I didn't know much more than that about what to do. And he said, um, also it's seven miles between the two pastures and I'm gonna put you on foot, meaning me, with a whip and I'm gonna follow along in the pickup truck behind you. And I still don't know for sure exactly why he did that except I think he was trying to see if I was really tough enough to be a son-in-law. And uh, so there I was out on the farm seven miles from the destination where I had to take these 100 cattle with my prospective father-in-law following behind in the pickup truck, and I was waving a whip wildly, trying to look as brave and strong as possible and showing that I could really do it. Anyway, this one cow kept wandering off to the side. I kept chasing it, and uh, it just ran and gave me so much trouble. Finally, I ran as fast as I could, cracked the whip, and the cow ran as fast as she could back toward the herd, but she hit a yield right-of-way sign with a great thud and fell upside down in the ditch with her legs outstretched toward heaven and she died right there in the ditch. I had come to uh, marry his daughter and I'd killed his cow. What what a hopeless, hopeless feeling. There are a lot of hopeless people in our world, more hopeless than, than I was on that occasion. Consider with me this morning the hopelessness of a family who has just lost a loved one in the war in Iraq. They may be very proud of our country, but there is still that hopeless, empty feeling. Or think with me about the hopelessness of a father or mother who have a child with an incurable disease. Or think about the hopeless feeling that hundreds of families in this community must have realizing that the jobs that they've had for many years are now gone with the closing of a giant factory in our community. Listen to these words from John Abbott in a chapter titled Two People Met at a Water Cooler. Two women met by a well and laid their pitchers on the edge. Each one's face was stained with tears and one looked to the other and said, they executed my son today they nailed him to a cross on Calvary. He died a common criminal's death while they let a murderer go free. And then she looked up and said, my son's name was Jesus. The other woman then replied as the words broke through her strife, my son died this morning also, but with a rope he took his life. And then she faced the woman whose feeling was the same My son died this morning also, Judas was his name. There are a lot of hopeless people in our world, a lot of seemingly hopeless situations. Can you imagine the hopelessness of the disciples, the hopelessness they felt after the death of Jesus? All that they had looked forward to was gone because Jesus was gone. Their faith in the kingdom of God was badly shaken. Their vision of the future had been crushed. And then something happened that changed their disappointment and their discouragement to a living hope. Early on Sunday morning when the women came to the tomb, they found that the grave was empty. The stone had been rolled away and the angel said, he is not here. He has risen, as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. They went and told Peter and the other disciples that Jesus was alive and then Jesus appeared to them on several different occasions to prove that he truly had risen from the dead. Several of the scholars on Peter Jennings' special about Jesus two nights ago made a comment of this type. They said there is no explanation whatever for the existence of the Christian religion apart from the resurrection of Jesus. Other so-called messiahs had come to Palestine in the first century. They'd been killed by the Romans, but their movements had died when they died. Only this movement, the Christian movement, remains alive today because the movement's leader had been resurrected from the dead. In the New Testament, we have many references to the meaning of the resurrection event. The biblical account teaches us that Jesus was literally, physically raised from the dead, that he conquered sin and death and hell, that he's alive today, and that his resurrection is the first fruits or the example of our future resurrection as Christians. This is the doctrine of the resurrection as we find it in the New Testament. We also find that very interesting phrase in the book of Philippians that we read at the beginning of the message today, the power of the resurrection. What is the power of the resurrection? Ephesians chapter one tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in your life and mine if we are believers in Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, we see that the first disciples who had just recently been bickering and fighting about who would have the place of prominence are working together in harmony and as an effective team. The power of the resurrection. In the book of Acts, we see Peter being led by the hand of an angel out of his prison cell while the church is gathered at a house praying for his release. It's the power of the resurrection. In the book of Acts, we see people who are physically healed and God intervening in the lives of people in many and various ways, performing miracles and meeting the needs of believers and unbelievers alike. There is great joy and great hope. Thousands of unbelievers suddenly become followers of Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. The power of the resurrection is the supernatural power of Jesus working in your life and mine when we're surrendered to him and open and obedient to his will. Why is it then that so few Christians experience the power of the resurrection? The answer I think lies in our readiness or willingness to give in to various negative influences in our culture. Just as the people in Old Testament times over and over were drawn away into idolatry and then had to repent, it seems that Christians today are drawn away all too often by the negative influences of our culture. One of these influences is a tendency toward dishonesty. I read not long ago in a magazine about Moody Bible Institute, Moody Monthly Magazine, the story of a student at Moody who was trying to think of a way to get out of taking a test in an evening class at Moody Bible Institute. Suddenly the student called into the kitchen where his wife was preparing supper, and he said, what are we having for supper? And his wife said, fish. And he said, would you bring me the package of fish? And then when she brought him the fish, he lay down on his bed, threw the package of fish in the air, and said, would you call my professor? and tell him that I'm flat on my back in bed and I just threw up my dinner. A tendency toward dishonesty. Several months ago at this university, I received a notebook from a student from another country which I won't identify and the notes were written in a foreign language and he said to me, oh Professor Springer, you speak so rapidly, I just can't take down notes in English so I have to write them in my native language. I thanked him and unknown to him, I found another student from his native country and asked her to translate his notebook. She started reading the notebook and then she began laughing and said, this has nothing to do with your class. It's letters to his mother, his girlfriend, shopping lists. You wouldn't believe what's in this notebook. The tendency toward dishonesty, the subtle tendency that faces all of us if we're not careful. Last week, I was watching CBS, I was just channel grazing one evening, and there was an interview with Janet Jackson about the now infamous Super Bowl incident with Justin Timberlake. And she said, I just had no idea that that would happen. To which the host replied, what did you think would happen? (laughs) Did you think a bunch of dancing clowns would jump out? It's too easy to cover up the truth in our culture. When my oldest daughter was age three or four, one time she became very angry at me, and I suppose all children do something like this, but she stuck out her tongue at me on one occasion. And then she said, Dad, I really didn't stick out my tongue at you. I just tried to lick something and it was too far away. And so I put it back inside my mouth. Dishonesty can be a problem at any age. On a little more serious note, a young adult lives near the university. Her parents think she is attending classes, but in reality, she is not attending classes. She is spending her parents' money and telling them that she is enrolled in classes. A young man turns in his assignment for a class. He says it's his own work, but actually, he has purchased the assignment from an online research paper service. A college professor writes numbers on his income tax return but in reality, the numbers are much smaller than the real numbers are. It's easy to be pulled away by the tendency toward dishonesty in our culture. Another value of our culture that's proved problematic to many Christians is the idea that marriage is not really a lifetime commitment. A talk show host that was interviewing a man recently, a man who had slept around with many different persons, concluded her interview with him by saying, if it's cool with you, it's cool with me. In other words, who am I to judge your standards of behavior? You do what you want, and I'll do what I want. On PBS, I saw a marriage expert say that in light of the lengthening lifespan, Maybe we should all consider having two or three marriages because after all, 60 or 70 years is just too long to stay married to one person. Very unfortunate piece of advice. The idea that marriage is not a lifetime commitment has contributed to all kinds of sexual promiscuity, including involvement with pornography, extramarital and premarital sex, homosexual behavior, And the Bible says very clearly in 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians 5 that those who continue in sexual sin as well as those who continue in dishonesty and greed and envy cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We simply cannot experience the power of the resurrection if we are living in willful and continual disobedience to the word of God. The culture also tells us to pursue money and pleasure above everything else, to go after what we want and to ignore the needs of other people. Listen carefully to the following quote. In high school, I played basketball, not very well, but enthusiastically. I remember sitting on the bench and wishing that the starting guard would get hurt so I could play. You can imagine the kind of relationship I had with that player. I was envious of his abilities and his opportunities, but every time I looked at him, one thought went through my mind. I want your position. Have you ever coveted another person's job? Have you ever coveted another person's spouse or another person's money? Have you ever seen selfish siblings counting the days until a parent would die and free up an inheritance? Have you seen them giving their attention and arguing not about their aging parents' needs and dignity and care, but only about the bank account that has been promised? It's easy to be pulled away from Christ and the power of the resurrection by the values of our surrounding culture. Psalm 106, 35 through 37 describes this process when it says that the people of Israel became too familiar with pagan customs and people, that they learned to do what the pagans did and finally they served their idols and even worshiped Satan. Notice the progression getting just a little more familiar with the pagan culture, then adopting the practices of that culture and then finally becoming so ensnared that they were worshiping their idols and even worshiping the devil himself. There's no way that we can experience the power and the hope of the resurrection if we are living lives of willful disobedience to God. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What should we do if we want to experience that power, that power that's talked about so beautifully in the book of Acts, in Ephesians, and in Philippians? I wanna make three brief suggestions. First of all, we need to get rid of every attitude and expression of sin in our lives. Second Corinthians seven one says, having these promises, these wonderful promises of God, let us rid ourselves from everything that contaminates both flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for Christ. And Jesus said in Matthew five, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. And he was saying, not literally, but figuratively, if something is as near and dear to you as your right hand or your right eye, if that thing or that relationship is leading you away from God, you need to get rid of that relationship or that temptation. Second, we need to consecrate our lives to the Lord. Romans 6, chapter six and verse 19 says, just as once you offered your lives as slaves to sin, so now offer your lives to God as servants of righteousness. And Romans 1 and two says, I appeal to you, dear friends, present your lives to God as living sacrifices. In light of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask. We need to get rid of sin with God's help. We need to consecrate our lives to following Christ. And then finally, we need to focus our attention on Christ and the things that please him. Dr. Richard Foster, professor of spiritual formation at Azusa Pacific University, and the author of Celebration of Discipline, Tells about going to a remote mountain cabin to study and to pray. He was there for a week and there was no television, no radio, no telephone, no internet. The only thing he found in the entire cabin that would make any noise at all electronically was a dusty old phonograph. And there was one 78 RPM hi-fi recording of the old Broadway musical hit, Oklahoma. He was perplexed by that and looked at it for a little bit and then he blew the dust off the needle, put the record on the record player and began to play the song Oklahoma. He said that every few hours during that week long retreat when he would have nothing to do he would get up and go over to the only electronic device in the cabin and put that record on the turntable, put the needle down and listen again to that record of Oklahoma. A funny thing happened, said Foster. After that experience, when he got back home to his office and to his work at Azusa Pacific, he said, I didn't realize how much my thinking would be affected by listening, listening repeatedly to that song at the cabin. He said, I would be walking down the sidewalk and going through my mind would be the words and the music of the song, Oklahoma. Or he said I'd be sitting in a stoplight and I'd find myself thinking again of the lyrics and the tune of the song Oklahoma. Or I'd be sitting at my desk preparing a lecture and again and again that song would be going through my mind. What we focus our attention on determines the nature of what our mind continually turns to and what we think about. And if we want to experience the power of the resurrection, we need to get in the habit of focusing our attention on Jesus Christ. In one of his books, Nathaniel Hawthorne tells about a young man by the name of Ernest. Ernest was quiet and unassuming. Some people thought he was a little bit strange. But often during the day or in the evening, he would go outside the village and stand and look at the mountain outside his village and on the side of the mountain was carved a great stone face. The face was kind and honest and good and Ernest would go and look at that face. There was a legend in that town in Hawthorne's book. The legend said that someday a man would appear who would look like the face that was carved on the side of the mountain. Ernest continued to look intently at that face until one day some of the people in the town said, look at Ernest. His countenance was changing. He was in reality beginning to look like the face that was carved on the side of the mountain. I wonder what we are giving our attention to today. Are we giving our attention to Howard Stern? To Janet Jackson? to the rapper Nally or are we giving our attention to Jesus Christ and to the things that pertain to his kingdom? The book of Hebrews chapter 12 verse two says that we should look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame And today is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. If we want to experience the power of the resurrection, we need to consecrate our lives to Christ. We need to live a life of holiness, and we need to focus our attention on what it means to follow Jesus. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 10, I want to know him and I want to know the power of his resurrection. Let's pray together. Father, help us at this Easter season to be serious about following Jesus. Help us to be willing to consecrate our entire lives to you so that we may really know you and so that we may really know the power of your resurrection. In our lives, in Christ our Savior's name, amen.